Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Broadway Podcast Network presents Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods with me, Ben Rimmelauer. Today's guest, Scott Frankel, assistant conductor on Broadway. Once upon a time. Scott Frankel was assistant conductor and keyboardist for the original Broadway production of Into the Woods, as well as a pianist on the final workshop. He was nominated for a Tony Award for his score to the acclaimed Grey Gardens, in addition to various other awards and honors as a composer, writing such musicals as The Flamingo Kid, Far From Heaven, Happiness, Doll, Meet Mr. Future, and Broadway's War Paint. He was memorably featured as Shirley MacLaine's I'm Still Here accompanist in Postcards from the Edge, and was music consultant on James Lapine's film, Life with Mikey. Well, yeah, so Into the Woods. I mean, were you fresh out of school? No, you did rags. I did rags. Uh, well, the very first job I had out of school, I played piano for Lillian Montevecchi at the North Shore Music Theater in Beverly, Massachusetts, in the round. Wow. And she opened for Jim Neighbors. Whoa. Well, golly, Lillianne, you sure seem like a pretty French lady. <laughs> it was the most incongruous matchup, but she also, I remember, she insisted on singing The Windmills of Your Mind, which has more lyrics in English, which she seemed <laughs> unable to speak than any other song. So she would stop and she would go, like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel, and then she went up. And she turned up stage to me. I'm like, girl, there are 975 more words. I can't pop out. I can't throw you all these words. Let's let us go on to the next song. <laughs> uh, no, I was doing um, a fraught and ill-fated musical the public called The Knife. Was Mandy Patinkin? This is Mandy yeah. uh, and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Okay. David Hare wrote the book and directed, and this guy named Nick Bicat, B-I-C-A-T, wrote the music. And it was... Uh, well, we didn't. It, Mandy was a transsexual, and at the end of the first act, he had been male identifying uh, all up until that point, and then he 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 crossed from the wings in a midnight blue dress, looking like your Aunt Muriel, basically. <laughs> he was not. He was he was homely as a woman. 
I'm allowed to say that. Okay, I'm going to cancel myself. He was homely as a woman. Cancel. And then he turned down stage and he walked all the way down to the edge of the stage and he said, his line was, it fits. Blackout. That was the intermission. first act? Yes. It was Did not that a, get a laugh? Well, what, really, what, what got a, in the second act, um, there's the title song called The Knife. And it ended in this big frenzy with the whole ensemble going, the knife, 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 up the actor, the knife, 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 the knife. And one performance, someone who had obviously seen it before, right as the last the knife happened, screamed out, rubbish, from the back of the auditorium. So I was playing in the pit, and Mandy very kindly called up Steve Sondheim and said, there's this kid playing in the pit, and it'd be great if you had a use for him, maybe on your new show. And that was Into the Woods, and I, which was super nice of him, and I had never met Sondheim, and I, first they sent me to play auditions. Was this before San Diego or after? This was after San Diego. Um, and I had to learn Little Red Song in every key. Oh, wow. Because and it, I was just expected to sight transpose it. It was before finale. Yeah. Kids, there was a time before <laughs> finale, and I was uh, we were in the pit of some theater. Maybe it was the Martin. Beck. I don't know. Um, and I got the job, and uh, they had all done it in San Diego. And uh, he uh, introduced me to Paul Giamiani, and Paul hired me to be the rehearsal pianist with Paul Ford. And uh, yeah, I. It, I was there when Betty Buckley was there. Yeah. Uh, so was that? So my job was to come in early and vocalize, warm up Betty mm. at her request and management's request. And she would, she put herself flat on the floor next to a little dog. And there would be, we did that for a time, but then, as my recollection, if it doesn't fail me, she, she tended to be late, and Lapine was very uh, unhappy with this, and basically it was an ultimatum like, you have to be on time, and if you can't be on time, then this isn't going to work out. Yeah. And I think that's what happened. Right. Uh, and then... Um, With very little time. Yes, as I recall. I don't know if it was like a pre-production thing. That I can't remember. If we were actually in rehearsal, we might have actually... Well, no, that wouldn't make sense, though. It, it might have been a couple weeks before. I don't yeah. know. What I've heard, I mean, there was, there's a lot of confusion around right. this. Confusion and agendas right, and right, diplomacy. Right, right, sure. But I think that the workshop was in July and rehearsals for Broadway started in the fall. In September. That sounds about right. But maybe in the same studio. That sounds about right. People. Sure. Like, it's very runny. Sure. Well, so if Betty was late, that means you did not warm her up. So you just sat around. Or, I, or she got or she got there late and we had very little. We didn't have the full hour to warm up or she missed the warm up entirely. I don't really yeah. remember, but that was the... It was a timeliness question, and I think Lapine yeah. had gave gave her ample warnings right. about it, which I think were not heeded for whatever reason. So 
I have heard that he, even when he... He went on, of course, to do Grey Gardens in Los Angeles and, and Bay Street with Rachel York. And I did not remind her of this particular no, anecdote because no. it just didn't seem... It doesn't even go over well. Yeah. Um, th- just briefly on the Lapine topic, even aside from Betty, I, I've heard from people that even when he acted in a way directorially that actors don't like, that he was never heated toward anybody. Is that how you remember it? Yeah, he wasn't a yeller. Right. That's for sure. Um, he loved Bernadette. Yeah. Uh, but was... I remember... And I may be conflating this with falsettos, which I did with him five years later. Um, how do I want to say he may He may have caused some, some tearfulness among some of the... Less starry members of the ah. of the cast in both shows is my recollection. Well, he, he would be short with them or curt, yeah. not yelling, but kind of uh, uh, testy. Testy. And then going back to Betty, should she have been this thrilling as I think she would have been? I mean, she says that he wrote "Stay with Me" for her, which I could certainly hear. Stay with me was in it then in that workshop, right? Well. Pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure it, it had was. not been in San Diego. Right, and 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 we had, uh, and there was Boom Crunch instead of Last right. Midnight. I think we started with Boom Crunch. Yeah. If memory serves, I should go back and look at my. I think Broad Basement. Started, yeah, that's what you mean. Right? Um, I actually don't remember Betty. I'm not even sure we even got to the score. Really, I don't have a recollection of her singing it, wow. but but because you think you would, yeah, because that's pe- I mean, correct. Probably nobody ever. If I, that's what you like, nobody ever did it better than that, to- right? Totally, and I'm surprised I don't I don't remember it, but um, and I do remember uh, I was so uh, so Sondheim was so um, measured and and. Um, very precise in rehearsals and he would sit there I remember he would sit there at run-throughs with a yellow legal pad and there was no yelling or jumping up and he would just very methodically write down his notes and thoughts and I was very impressed by that I thought oh well that seems like a very intelligent uh, considered way to write down your thoughts or objections or corrections and then go around and tell the appropriate people totally what they are but did you did you take that forward and I did that? I did Love it. I'm not a yeller uh, but maybe I will become one well listen there's still there's still time to totally. be all kinds totally I could get to my I could get to my snarky snotty years yeah 60 yeah. I'll be 60 in May it's hard to imagine really again being so young as I am well listen I mean I I, I don't know what age anyone is so like. I also remember so I was the assistant conductor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was young. I was 24. Uh, and I had really big... Was there a band in the workshop, by the way? There was not. Um, I had really big permed hair. <laughs> kind of like Roger Daltrey in The Who. Wow. Uh, a, a kind of Jewish Roger Daltrey. Sure. And I don't know what I was thinking... And uh, the set design for the show, once we got into the theater, there's a passerelle, a, 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 a kind of Miss America-like round ramp 
for the yeah. three kids numbers, right? Well, and the, it was used a lot for skipping, and and, the, and my head stuck out. The pit was in the middle, uh, and I would get these all of these notes from the pine whenever I would conduct. Like, what about your hair? What can we do with your hair? Can you put your hair? Can you pull your hair back? Can you slick your hair back? Can you put your hair in a ponytail? Can you? And it's like dye green like whatever. a bush. And I was like. <laughs> Nothing about like the tempi no, or no. the um, or the pacing visual, or visual. the volume or no. Uh, we never. We, I have a picture somewhere. I'll see if I can find it for you. There was some. I'm, I, it's in my basement somewhere. A picture of me with very big hair sticking out of the of the pit. Because um, that that's eighty seven. I mean, that's not like the peak years of afros. No, no, Jufro. Jufro. Yeah. No, I don't know what the hell it was the peak years of. Uh, and it was, um, was it, I mean, was it like with Moose? Like, was it an 80s? Like, were you like cool? It was a little bit, it, no. It was a little barber enough is enough. <laughs> is really kind of what it was. Uh, it was after the Bonsoir. Yes, way. But before way. Hyde Park. You see, it was yes, enough. Of, so gotcha. there was a kind of, you know, that was a perm and yeah. kind of curled and yeah. it wasn't a good look for me. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, what else do I remember? Well, uh, so, okay, what, uh, now, what about this This workshop? This is when Burke Moses was... No, I remember him, sure. He was Cinderella's he, prince, prince and the yeah. wolf. But he was not... He was supposed to be Rapunzel's prince, but Bob, uh, Bob Westenberg was in the Crucible, so they... He was going to cover it, so they... Oh, interesting. That, ring, that vaguely rings, but I do remember Burke, because I think that's the only time I worked with him. And then... Very easy on the eyes, Burke yes. Moses. Yes. Yes. Big, tall, strapping guy. Um, but, and what, was he not good? I think he was good. Um, I don't remember that personnel change in particular. I really don't remember a lot about the San Diego chapters, which I was not involved with at all. Yeah. But it was... Had you been following? Was that a thing that was people were gossiped about, like, in, at Joe Allen or, you know, Sam's? Or yeah, I, I think it was a little off my radar, but I'm trying to think why. Maybe I was just up to my ears in the knife and or whatever the hell I was yeah. doing. And wait, and you did rags before into the woods. Rags was eighty six. Did you go out of town with rags? Too? Yeah, I didn't do rags in New York. I did rags uh, oh, Boston only. Okay. Yeah. So, but that must have been you had your hands full. You weren't like having bandwidth for gossip on uh, rags was <laughs> a real into the woods. Yeah, rags was a real uh, baptism by fire. Yeah, there was a lot. Uh, the Strata situation. The Lack of director that you know they fired John Nicklin Silver after yeah. a couple of weeks of rehearsal because she hadn't staged anything. So we had we had these you know she directed Hester Street and she had a great sense of the period and the milieu and the Lower East Side the shtetl. We had all these great storyboards and she would talk about the and the, the end of the first week goes by and like we're looking at stage management and stage management's looking at us like is she going to stage anything ever? And then the second week started she apparently was not going to stage anything. What, like just table work? Yeah, and like atmosphere. On their feet, improvising? I, I, that I don't remember, but it was like, there was, there, were, there, were not, there was not blocking. No. As in, you enter here on this line and yeah. you go upstate. Wow. There was none of that. None of that. Um, yeah, that and the producers and then Stephen was brought in to direct and then Charles insisted on co-director billing. I remember that. So Stephen Schwartz and Charles Strauss, the lyricist and composer, Correct. were the co-directors. Correct. Yeah. And then, and then in Boston, 
Stratus was unhappy. I remember she didn't open the show. Christina Andreas opened. She 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 skipped she skipped opening night. And I think I heard that, but thought it was you know not. No, no. She she was putting her foot down, and so Christine it was Christine got the reviews, and and Donna Murphy was this was the second cover. Wow. Uh, and would. And and belted the whole thing was not doing it in a kind of soprano. Isn't it, it very high? It is very high. It was completely insane. And then she left to do Drood, um, somewhere along the way. Anyway, you learn a lot. You, I learned a lot. Like the writers usually, probably not a good idea if they're directing because one wants to have a little separation, and distance there, and more eyes on them. Yeah. Easier. And um, and Stratus, you know, incredible uh, performer. She talked, you know, when she sang, it was glory, it was fire and music. But when she talked, it was kind of in a monotone. And like, they really, they should, you know, she's an opera singer. She doesn't have to talk, you know. But if you're going to do a musical, they probably should have gotten her a speech person or a dog, yeah. you know, someone to help not at all. It was, and she was, and it was low. Okay, you went on. And then when she would sing, it was this, like, what? Yeah. Wow. And then I also learned, they fixed this, I think, in subsequent versions, that, you know, Judy Kuhn sang the title number. Yeah. At about three quarters of the way into the first act. And I, and it brought the house down. It was incredible. Yeah. But you do not have your secondary lead character sing the title number three quarters of the way through a first act and then have 15 more minutes to go. Uh, people were like, what? 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 cigarette? Yeah. You learn a lot on those shows. Uh, so what, what, what did any of that... Uh, I think they changed. I, didn't, I have not seen subsequent iterations. I think they, they extensively rewrote it. And, uh, and now I think the Rebecca, the, the Stratus character, has the title song. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. But I mean, so you must have into the woods must have seemed extremely steady sailing. Absolutely, they were. They were. You know, they were more organized. They had had a full production out of town. Um, you know, and and uh, so I was Gemignani's assistants, uh, and he and Paul Ford obviously had worked together a lot. And then I, and I was playing in the pit. I was. Paul was on. Uh, he was playing an acoustic piano, and I was on a synth chair. Oh wow! Keyboard too. Um, yeah, I remember orchestra rehearsals, thrilling. Um, Do you, tell me about Second Midnight. Do you remember that song? Vaguely. I mean, people have said that like more time was spent rehearsing that version, writing, rewriting that song. Than like the rest of the show, and then it was cut after like. Oh, and now, yeah, and now I'm remembering there were also maybe it was in the workshop or pre-production somewhere like Lara Lubavitch was staging numbers with his company, standing in for like okay, you Lubavitch dancer, you're the baker, and you Whoa. other Lubavitch dancer, you're the baker's wife, and just like for the plan to look at and like oh, there were yeah there were lots of different versions of things um, yeah. was there just so much money that like I don't think there was because I think it was produced because you know I don't think they were fat cats it was Rocco and the Dodgers and and uh, Rick what was his name Rick Steiner yeah 
and oh, and Ed Ed Strong. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't think there was a lot of money. I, I I yes, I don't I don't know why that was. Or or Lupin just wanted to see, or Laura wanted to see various iterations of it on its feet. As yeah, um, you know when I uh, so I so. I had to get up. I I think I probably conducted for the first time in previews, probably because Paul probably wanted to get out in the house. Yeah. Um, and I had my big hair, and I was super prepared, and I did a good job. But you know, there were guys in that band who had been in the Funny Girl Orchestra, wow. and and there was there was a lot. There was a little bit of like. You know, you're going to tell me, you're going to tell me what to do, kid. You know, I was, I was, I was, I was, you know, I was playing funny girl while you weren't even born. And uh, we got over that quickly enough. Um, For the last time, I am not on Ozempic. I made one little joke on this podcast and everybody started calling me out, texting me, calling me cringe, whatever. I really was asked by people if I was on Ozempic, and as I told them, I am not. I am just eating factors, no prep, no mess meals, okay? Warmer, sunnier days are coming. Fire Island season is here. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you can kickstart a new healthy routine what are you waiting for with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week you'll always have new flavors to explore crush your wellness goals this may with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from breakfast to dessert stay fueled with easy nutritious options treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon shrimp and blackened salmon and kitchen time is kept to a minimum they are ready in two minutes no shopping no prepping no cooking no cleanup enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories maximize protein intake avoid meat or just simply to eat well balanced head to factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 and use code giants in the sky 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month that's code giants in the sky 50 at factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active were you, I assume, were you like a huge Sondheim nerd? Like, I was. I wrote my college application essays about Sweeney. Lovely. I was obsessed with Sweeney. Um, yeah. I came in to see Sweeney when I was in high school. Um, yeah, and he, you know, he was very, very supportive and gave me tremendous opportunities and was couldn't have been more encouraging in every way. I have nothing but... Yeah, uh, fantastic things to say about that. I mean, he really, he believed what I could do. He believed in my skill set. He believed, he was not an ageist. He was like, you know, give him responsibility, give him. Uh, although I do remember like being in the wings and 
maybe him coming backstage after performance and giving me some tempo notes. And that's, and that is something too, where like, you know, God comes back and says like, I've got a, I've got a few thoughts about like, it's like, whoa, this is all, this is, yes. Okay. Sorry. Yes. I, maybe that was too fast. I'll, you know, one wanted to please him and when, yeah. he, when he was not pleased, yeah, uh, that was, it was nerve wracking. Did you stay for the whole run? I did not. Um, he, I'm trying to. So, uh, I left to do a year of pre-production on Jerome Robbins Broadway, mm. and that was because of Steve, mm. who said uh, you should really go work with Jerry Robbins. And then he looked at me in the eye and he said, "He's the only genius I've ever worked with in my life." Wow. I'm like, okay, good enough for me. Uh, and so he, you know, again, like Mandy, picked up the phone, called Jerry Robbins, said, I'm sending Scott over to you. You should use him for... Was uh, that, that was after the Tony's into the way. Yes. Yes, I do remember, I remember that. Um, so you'd put Felicia into the show? I, I do remember conducting for Felicia. I remember conducting for Dick Cavett, too. Oh, Wow. But he was only the narrator, not the mysterious man, right? Yes, he... It was terrifying, though, because he... He made Lillianne Montevecchi look like she was on book. And he would say... You know, the narrator has really important plot points that there... And he would say, like, And then Cinderella flies to Czechoslovakia and has pierogi with her cousin. And then, like, Joy Franz would say... Don't you mean that? <laughs> don't you mean that Little Red goes to her grandmother's house? Because because he would give these he would give these these plot points that were just wrong. I mean, they were really wrong and not. He helpful. forgot the line. Yes, and he just was being cute. Or, or yes, I mean, it wasn't that bad, but it was what he was saying was wrong. Yeah, and the audience was like, "What?" And so it really had to be corrected because otherwise people would be like, "What the hell's going on here?" Um, was he stressed out about that, or was it just kind of like, "Yeah, you get what you pay for"? I mean, he couldn't. He was deli- He was delightful. I remember Felicia Rashad was nervous. I remember Betsy Jocelyn was a fantastic uh, witch. Mm-hmm. She went on, and then she and then she took over for a time. I think too. Didn't they put her on like in between? Yeah, that, that's she, she would do. On she was great. Whatever. Yeah, she was great. Sang the hell out of it. Was funny. Kind of made it her own. Um, I also remember. Uh, you know what I think is what I think is so brilliant among the many brilliant things in that show is the baker's wife and the baker. They're kind of like they're they're storybook characters, but they sound like a kind of um, you know old married Upper West Side Jewish couple. Yeah. So their banter is very, and that's what's kind of hilarious about it that they're in the storybook milieu with these costumes but they're kind of fetching like people you see on Columbus Avenue <laughs> in, in, in the 70s and uh, uh, I remember they would they would call each other they were they had dressing rooms on either side of the stage um, and they would call each other during the show like <laughs> on the like, dressing room landline yeah it was like can you believe how dead the house is or like you stepped on my lap or <laughs> it was uh, I, that, that's, that's rumor but that's what I heard and I'm like that's unbelievable. It's and also perfection. kind of perfect. Yes. Bernadette was amazing and amazingly easy and easy and great to work with. Yeah. Just like, you know, the the people who are pros and who know who they are and 
it's just it's just such a you know I mean Julie Andrews was like that too just kind of a they don't want drama and they're not bringing their mental hygiene issues into the table they're just you know they they know what eight a week's like and they know it's it has to be like a machine and things are going to go wrong sometimes and or whatever it's just and then there are the more kind of neurotic ones who are, who make who make life a living hell. There's a director I worked with once who who has an expression, who I will not say, but who has a, who has an expression, um, life's too short. Mm. Like if you say, well, what about blankety-blank for that part? Yeah. And, and the director will say, mm, life's too short. But, but you only know that after you've gone through it with them once. Well, that person, yes, exactly. Uh, so, but Bernie was a, was a doll. And, um, and what, what, what is the reason, it seems so strange to me that they were casting... For two years of readings and workshops in San Diego, and all these different women playing the witch, auditioning for the witch, and right. they didn't even consider the star of Sunday in the Park with George until the month before rehearsal started. I've, I'm just again, since I was not privy to the you know first third of that, first two thirds of that, really, um, I'm just guessing that maybe they thought it wasn't big enough part. It wasn't like a starring starring part. Did that seem to change? attitudinally from the workshop to Bernadette's casting where it was the starring part now because Bernadette was playing it? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, Joanna won the Tony. Yeah. Was Bernadette even nominated no, in that category? But there was a, wasn't she, she was gone before the nominators could even see the show or something? That I'm not she sure. She left right. like in March? Right, she, I do, yes, because she, that was, that was the proviso for her accepting, like, you know, I'm committed to blankety blank, whatever it was. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I had subbed that song I danced to, that's right, I, so I remember her from, that was the year before. You know, it's, that first act is dependent on charm and personality, maybe more than anything. It, because some of that's not in the writing. It's just you just you yeah. out there being yeah. deliberate. And I remember that she Bernadette got a lot of laughs. Yeah. Uh, with with the witch, with like Bernadette's laughs, it were those just not part of how the character was played before she was cast, or was the writing changed to give her those opportunities? Oh, that's a good question. That I don't really know. Like the vaudevillian kind of aspect of her, and you know the. Yeah, I don't know if. She, I mean, she certainly brought that color to yeah. to the proceedings. I mean, she she wasn't afraid to be broad, but of course, it was uh, you know, it's she transforms into this glamorous, you know, fabulous Bernadette, so, <laughs> and, and then she's got a hag witch costume on. So, I mean, it, maybe it kind of she 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 took full advantage of, of that. And did she show up kind of fully formed in that character? That's a good question. I do not remember truthfully. And also, okay, there's. Different people have said different things. Supposedly that after the workshop, before Broadway rehearsal started, mm -hmm. that there was a reading at a townhouse, a private home, a reading or a sing-through where Bernadette was there and everyone showing up, That's or most people showing up only learned wow. arriving that... I don't remember that. The witch. I did not remember that. No. But maybe I was... Maybe it was, yeah. maybe it was Paul, you know, right. playing, so... right. Um, did did you play uh, like put in rehearsals for the uh, or understudy rehearsals sure. for the Nancy Dussel? Sure, and... sure. I think I was gone before Nancy Dussel, but I mean I remember Lauren playing the Baker's wife. I remember Kim McClone playing the Baker's wife. How I was they? there for Mary Gordon Murray when she took yeah, over Baker's she did wife it for a long time, right? And on tour, 
Uh, yes. I mean, I would think K would be wonderful. You know, they were... Uh, it's weird when you're in a production, I think, and you're playing a different part, and so you, you observe, but then when you have to be someone else... Like, I think Mary Gordon had a... I mean, they, they were all great in their different ways. Mary Gordon had, in some ways, a great advantage of not being there mm. for, that she could just kind of come in and... Yeah. Oh, and there was also, what's her name from television? Cynthia Sykes. Cynthia Sykes. Yeah, That's I heard right. people thought she was not. She was good. not. That was not as successful. The least successful of... Singing-wise or all together? Uh, just not very funny. Yeah. Um, but no one is as funny as Joanna in that part. No. To, to this day. Yeah. Um... Well, again, she's so dry and so uh, urbane, yeah. And that I do think that's what's so genius about it—that yeah. it's she's such a you know she's this very sophisticated New Yorker in the middle of this fairy tale, and yeah. that's kind of fantastic. Yeah. Um, he somehow loved her. Yeah. Loved, 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 loved her. Couldn't have loved her more. And 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 why not? She's incredibly smart and delightful and super talented and. Was she insecure about the singing? No. So when she says comments like that, she's just that's just her humility. That's well, it. you know, I'm, well, I say that. I mean, some of the stuff that's more kind of, you know, over her break, the end is right, it justifies. Yeah. I thought she totally made it work for the character. I thought it was written on purpose to be over her break. Yes, and then, when, and then in the revival... Um, uh, Sarah Bareilles. Yeah, so yeah. it's been more kind of belted throughout. Or, yeah. or I think I heard a clip, a clip of Stephanie do a, kind of belting the whole Absolutely. thing. Really and in a way, it doesn't work. It doesn't help that line yeah. because it's not. You don't want to detonate it. Like I mean, it's of course it's thrilling that yeah. you could belt that high, but it's like mm, it doesn't seem to work for the moment as well. And yeah. yeah, Joanna was. I just thought she was perfect, and she and Chip were had great, uh, great affection for each other. And I thought Kim had such a beautiful voice. And I remember. Um, Oh, and the covers were all great. It was Jeff Blumenkrantz mm. uh, and and um, oh, Carolyn um, um, was 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 Barbara Brins. Yeah, what's her last name? Maloney. That right? rings a bell. Um, During tech, I remember Paul Ford. There was some. There was some. I don't remember the name of it. Some really, you know historical British vaudeville song that was a big number of Barbara Brin. So we'd be sitting there waiting and they'd be lighting and lighting and lighting. And like Paul would do an arpeggio up and then Barbara Brin would step down stage and do this entire hilarious vaudeville number. It was, you know, like with a soft shoe. And like, it was just, it was just genius. Genius. Now, you just made me think she would have been a good Big Edie at some point. Barbara Brin would have been great Big yeah. Edie. Um, How about a revival? What about Jane Alexander as Big Edie? Oh. She was so good in Grand Horizons. So yeah, funny. she really was. I don't she know about her singing, but maybe. Um, that now my mind is all on uh, Big Edie. Um, but, uh, it's Louie's birthday today. I just saw it. Is it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, the, the real little lady, not, not, uh, not Christine. only one I can imagine now is Christine. Um, but, uh, what about, um, well, speaking of Kim Crosby, because it, it's interesting to hear you praise her, why didn't she work more? It's a good question. I mean, she... Paul Ford said she was like a young Barbara Cook or Julie Andrews. I mean... But but also with that, with that Kelly O'Hara quality where she was singing legit, but it 
it wasn't it didn't keep it wasn't like I'm going I'm doing an opera now. No. Like it was it was accessible in the way her vocal production was such that it was very felt very natural. Yeah. And I think that so even though even though the stuff sat high, it didn't feel because I think a lot of people's ears in the theater rather than the opera. But when you hear something that's very legit, it kind of take it kind of pushes you away. Yeah. And she wasn't like that at all. Yeah. And she was beautiful, and her physical comedy was really fun. I remember her falls or trips were hilarious. Yeah. And she and Bob were great mm. together. Are this, they're married. Yeah. yeah. Still. Yeah. Right. Grandparents. Amazing. Crazy. Yeah, and you know, and and I also, you know, Betsy too. I I just thought she was the bee's knees, and you know, I'm one of the three people who saw a doll's life, and wow. and, uh, and she was extraordinary, and uh, yeah, you know, the the business is hard. Yeah, the business is hard. Some of the it, I don't want to be I don't want to be generationalist, but like some of the. Some of this, like this kind of CCM Carnegie Mellon actors coming up now, they're, you know, we're in a very fertile time where a lot of those people work and they work all the time. And sure, they'll, they'll struggle to get jobs, but they're appreciated when they do. And, and in the 80s, you have to remember it was, um, you know, kind of the start of the British mega musicals yeah. and everything else was kind of, a, a poor relation and not so successful mm. and so uh, yeah it was it was it was tricky there like in some ways Broadway wasn't it wasn't beloved in it, that 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 comes and goes through the years yeah. I mean uh, I mean Phantom won famously over yeah, Into I mean, the Woods I mean it's Into the Woods on its fifth major New York production right and Phantom is still running and, and also I'm struck so struck by the fact that um you know, so many people did it in high school, college, yeah. growing up. That there's this kind of end with the movie. That there's kind of this built-in great, great affection for it. Yeah, I mean, in that video, that is such a perfect capture. The capture yeah, I was, I was gone sadly at that point, but I guess it's amazing. Yeah, and speaking of the vocal range of Cinderella and the, um, uh, you, you didn't weren't there for Patti LuPone's audition. I was not. No. I, mean, I didn't meet Patty till ninety two, ninety three. Okay, so uh, was I mean, it, was that ever a real thing? Um, I only know the the lore that you know she that that's that they thought of her in one way, and she what she for whatever reason wanted wanted to do a, t- a different take on Cinderella. And, and I think they weren't looking for a different no, take. I think they wanted no. a more Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah. Would that have been before San Diego? Uh, that's a good question. I and I don't, I don't know. Kid, did Kim do it at the Oklahoma? Yeah, oh, she did. So maybe it was before then. Because you played only for Little Red auditions. Yeah. Because Paul did the others, or because that's all there was. It was kind of my. It was kind of my audition, so I don't remember playing a lot more oh, than okay. that. So, so it might have been job, and then yeah, yeah. yeah. I will also say that um, I hadn't done, and I wasn't there, but I certainly did over a hundred performances. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe much more than that. There, uh, I learned. I learned around then that I wasn't a great eight show week guy. 
Uh, and that's a pretty rich score, but from like sometimes there are, there are only only so many ways you can mix it up. Mm-hmm. Like and after and like, um, you know, you could try this, you could try that, you could try more of a retard here, you could try a brighter tempo here, like, but. I learned then that like I didn't have the, I didn't really have at least not that at that age I didn't really have the discipline or the inclination to be because you you have you you want to be consistent and the and when the show starts I mean people, people you know you are the engine of the show and mm-hmm. you want to be consistent and the cast kind of counts on you and that's what you know Gemignani is so brilliant at that that he he's there and he's smiling and he's giving energy and he's cracking jokes and he's he's yeah. this very. Um, positive, buoyant, energetic presence. And if I was having a bad day, we might have a bad show. Yeah. And 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 you just can't do that. No. And uh, I also remember though that um, particularly early on, I would get what I termed the performances from hell, like Thanksgiving uh, or Christmas or New Year's Eve. And you're not supposed to have more than one person Per section out mm-hmm. in the band first mm-hmm. with the substitute, but there were times when I would look down and like, I don't know most of you people. I've wow. never seen most of you people before in my life. So, you know, that's then it becomes just a question of like keeping it off the rocks, like yeah. holding it together because that's that's a hard show and yeah. uh, you you want to have done it at least once, yeah. but and the actors weren't calling out in the holidays those days, no. No, Paul was happy to miss those shows, and I was, of course, happy to have those shows. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was. Uh, I do remember. Like, I would. I was a good assistant. I mean, when you like, I would go in, and I would. He didn't ask me. I would do stuff he didn't ask me. To do. Like, I would go into full scores with post its and like, like you know, eyeglasses. Like, pay attention here, or this is you know. This is where Lapine asked for so and so. Just reminder, like wow. stuff that stuff that you know you you want to do, but you don't want to be, you want to be unobtrusive and you don't want to call attention to it, but you want to be helpful without yeah. being you know visible. So did he love you? He was pleased with me. Yeah. And he, did you guys work together in your career as a composer? No, no. We worked together again on Jerome Robbins Broadway, yeah. but I had been there first because uh, I I sat with Jerry for months in his studio in the top of the townhouse where he would it would just be me and him in there for hours wow. a day uh, and he would try to you know the early early stuff like On the Town and Billion Dollar Baby and um, it was before Lab Notation it was before Kinescope so there was like it was not written down so he would try to remember he would bring they would bring old dancers in to see what they could remember but then he would try to re-choreograph stuff uh, and it was so fascinating and like some of the stuff he he would second guess himself even though he would come up with great new stuff it's like well is that as good as what I came up with you know 45 years earlier yeah. and uh, when he so he'd be there and he'd be working on whatever you'd be working on but he'd be there and he'd be you know, trying things out, doing the steps, and doing that thing the dancers do. Like, and then he'd go, you know, turn, 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 just kick, and then. And then when he was ready for me, he would turn to the piano and say, "And 
And and would you even like? He know didn't say he where 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 he was. No, it was a word. It was a word that still puts a flop sweat on me. <laughs> and but when and he did this in rehearsals too. When he was not happy with me or the music department, he would say "and" facing away from the piano, kind of under his breath. And there was no possible way you could hear it. Wow. And then if you didn't come in, he would turn around like Satan and go. With, it was amazing. Did you concur with Sondheim's Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he... Yeah, the... And he was the, and he was the best. If he couldn't explain what he wanted, he could do it. Like, he did the best stripper and the best Tevia and mm. the best sailors and the best... Everything yet, like the physicality of him and the storytelling of him and the eyes and the and the movement, it was just incredible. Wow! Did and he had a great he had a great sense of humor. I mean, he could be mean as a snake, and sometimes like he would he turn he turned to us and say, like, like if he was if he was annoyed, was kind of, he would kind of grumble something like, "Well, music departments aren't what they used to be in the you know, oh, back, back, back in the day." And I'm like, oh, but. Um, you know, like Sondheim, he was someone who you really wanted to be excellent for. Mm. He, they inspired you. Um, but unlike Sondheim, who was not a yeller and not a not a not snide by nature um, outwardly, uh, Robbins was was uh, combative and difficult. And you know, he had. He loved actors, but then he also had people in the company that he liked to treat as whipping boys and belittle. Mm. And, and um, you know, it's such a generational shift. I mean, no one would put up with that now. Yeah. I mean, the things, I mean, no one seems to put up with anything now. No. Uh, but, but we were all willing to look the other way because, you know, you look at Kugel. My God, I mean, has there ever been anything as thrilling as that? Or, mm. or the prologue or the dance at the gym? I mean, it's like, so... If you know, to me, if that person has demons and if that person is complicated psychologically, I'm willing to. I was willing to stick it out because I thought it was worth it. Because what they came up with was so special. Uh, but now I think people don't feel that way. Yeah, I think that there's don't. the you know people apply the aforementioned "life's too short" thing to yeah, everything. To everything. Yeah. Um, what would Jerome Robbins have done to improve upon Into the Woods? Interesting. Um, I'm not sure he would have been a good match for it. <laughs> right, and Neil Simon. <laughs> well, like he... Like in some ways there's a kind of anti-musical quality about Into the Woods. Well, I mean, sure, there, there, are big, there are some big numbers, like the title song, but then there are more kind of introverted, introspective, methodical numbers. He's a very nice prince. He's like they're it's 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 in it's in it's inward. It's not outward. Yeah. Um Yeah, Lapine, you know he, I I don't think he really likes buttons or yeah. or things that say or or, or things that reference a kind of more traditional 
we're here and performing and the number's over and we want a big ending and get a hand. Like, I don't think that's his inclination. Like, I don't think that's what he gravitates toward personally. He wants something more, um, that feels almost more like a, like a play. Yeah. Or that's more, that's more psychological and less performative. Mm -hmm. Um, he talks about in his book about Sunday in the Park with George uh-huh. when Michael Bennett came and told him, Mandy just did this great number, the audience needs to clap right. and that and he, you know, describes it very appreciatively of right. learning that lesson. Well, I mean yeah, that's the thing. There are the great thing about musicals and about music in the theater is you can you can engender a, an involuntary response from an audience. You can make them do something. Mm-hmm. You can get them excited. You can make them cry. You can and and if you then want to then to not let them respond how you've uh, conjured, it's almost perverse. Yeah, it's like I'm not going to let you come. I tease you and tease yeah. you and tease you and tease you. Oh, oh no, I'm sorry, we're not doing that today. Yeah, the audience is going to come. Yeah, it, it it could be it just maybe awkward and, and ungainly <laughs> yes. and disappointing. Like wow, I, you didn't, but I thought we were. Yeah, you know, which is which is its own thing for some people. But I think that you yeah. you, you know, and what's that thing they say too? Like one audience, one uh, one audience might be wrong. Two audiences might be wrong. Five audiences in a row, they're not wrong. You're yeah. wrong. Yeah, like they're they want to do what they want to do, and you. have you've given them a shape of something and then you've pulled the rug out from under them at the end or not let them applaud or cry or have a moment or all of that. So sometimes you have to just, like you, like I understand the impulse, you want to keep it going, you don't want to be presentational, you don't want to take, you want to move things along, you want to keep the pan on the stove, you don't want to lift it off, but, but sometimes the audience wants to do what the audience wants to do. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think there were places in Into the Woods that suffered because they needed more of that kind of a sensibility? I don't. You know, I do remember uh, as a young person, um, I was a little impatient with the three ballads in a row in Act Two as a 24-year-old. It's, yeah, uh, at the end. No more. No more. No one is alone and children will listen. And that's a lot. That's a lot of slow, sad, introspective, psychologically oriented stuff. And uh, I did not Please read three. And, and I would give notes and I'd say, well, read one, we'll read two, read three. And he, maybe he was read four. He was either three or four. And he would say, he, he finds like, he was the funny girl guy who was always there to bust my balls. He's like, why do you, why do you always start with read one when you're giving notes? <laughs> well, I'm fucking read four. You know, I was in the fucking pit. You know, I'm thinking like the fuck bubble is. I was in the fucking pit of funny girl. <laughs> Why can't you start with me for a change? And I'm thinking like, dude, I'm going to the number one, play three, the fifth, play that, and in an order. <laughs> very, uh, very chamber musicy that score. That score. I have to say that Rob Berman, Bravo, because that's that score at the revival sounded. It never sounded that good in the Martin back. Really? Yeah. It was beautifully played. I mean, I think also he had... Yeah. I mean, it's very exposed. All the parts are very exposed and uh, very high trumpet stuff and it just sounded gorgeous. Exposed meaning 
your ear can really pick out all the yes, it's high stuff and difficult so stuff. You can't hide that, in a section. Yeah. You can't. There's nowhere to hide. Yeah. So if something goes wrong, you're like, wow, that went yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's such a. It's such a. I mean, I also think too, like so. I was a. Uh, I think you can divide the people into. Uh, pre-Sunday people and post-Sunday people. And I think it has to do with writers, too. Mm. Uh, in terms of how his overt influenced them. Man. And I'm so unquestionably a pre-Sunday guy. Mm-hmm. Not just because I wrote college application essays about Sweeney. Yeah. But just I just thought that, I mean, sure, those scores, Sunday and, and later, are also marvelous. But for me, the... Um, to me, the kind of marriage of show business and classical music and drama and it's just the palette is so broad and rich and the and the Sunday and later ones are more contained and specific yeah uh, they're marvelous in their own way yeah but I think so many younger writers in particular are were were um Influenced more by the post Sunday yeah. oeuvre. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm on the divide of uh-huh. that generation. And um, I, I remember uh, when I first was like Lonnie's assistant. Right. And, the, you know, when he would talk about company and follies and night music, it was like, you know, with tears in his eyes and he, into the woods, I think, to him, right. you know, maybe Sunday in the Park was sort of grandfathered right. in in a certain way, but into the woods was like, on a very separate list. Mm-hmm. And it was like in Annie when like uh, Daddy Warbuck scoffs at her adoration for FDR. Right. You know, it's like such a t- trashing the idol. And, but the kids today, I mean, Into the Woods is the number one. It's Absolutely. not even Absolutely. that it's equal to those ones from the 70s. It, it's the top of it. Absolutely. And you know, and it's, it's um, I was thinking about that when I was watching the revival. I mean, uh, there's just as much like kind of hyper articulate wordplay and dense thoughts and quick fire thoughts as in Into the Woods as there is in anything else. Oh sure, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, you said it. The palette is the difference by but far. It, but he, but yes, he. Those scores, it's they're more they're organized in a way over over a more kind of um, tightly oriented set of motifs and ideas like he had his his chords and his motives and he wove them and whereas the earlier ones are everything and the kitchen sink yeah very very broad yeah i mean the journey from forum to company to follies to night music to pacific overtures to sweeney todd there's not two things in common between them i was someone was Talking the other day, I don't remember the context about the the um, snarky things that Bernstein was saying about uh, Sweeney at the time. Oh, really? Uh, but of course, you know, he wishes he wrote Sweeney because Sweeney's just the very best. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It was. It you know that's such a complicated relationship too. I mean, I remember I was visiting Sondheim the weekend Bernstein died. Oh wow! So I was there when that news came in. And that was, um, that felt like a real, like, kind of moment to clock. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, now that he's gone, uh, 
But I have to say, like, he to to have lived long enough to be so lauded and beloved. You know, there's there's all and it's before I before my time, but there's he felt despite all the Tonys and he felt kind of less appreciated in the seventies. But I think everyone finally caught up to him. Yeah, and how great that that happened. You know very much in his lifetime yeah. he was celebrated and and uh, you know revered and and lived to see it and mm-hmm. many people don't many many people don't you know Van Gogh and whoever I mean like yeah. most people don't yeah uh, but also that he lived so long and that you know to go from Saturday night and forum to roadshow I mean that's a big that's a big well I mean, less a roadshow, but whatever the, yeah. the later stuff. I mean, yeah. It's a huge. He really reinvented himself, and I think that um, to go back to Into the Woods, that the partnership with Lapine, I think, um, took him yeah. by the hand to a different aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, not that. Not. I don't think James was asking for that, but I think some symbiotically, the way that they interacted with each other colored Sondheim's. Um, Work and worldview in a way that took him to a different place musically and and dramatically. Um, so that was great. Earl Whiteson like made me cry talking about a conversation he'd had with Sondheim like in a car sometime like before San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, Sondheim talking about what Lapine had done for him artistically and personally mm-hmm. and how he exactly like you say his worldview had shifted and and I think it's the stuff you were saying earlier about the introspection and the psychological stuff that it it was like another avenue for him to exist in where it wasn't about him and Hal having to compete with Jerry Herman or right. Andy Weber or whoever. And also, I think you know you can't uh, you can't discount the huge disappointment of Merrily and what that did to him. I mean, uh, we've all had uh, you know career disappointments, but that was such a public one. And I I think that he uh, again conjecture was so disillusioned and uh, dejected and maybe thought that that was it. And and then yeah. Lapine came along and then it was like oh there are other ways I can do what I do yeah in different ways maybe just as good yeah uh, but certainly different let me ask you about that if you don't mind sure. like, I, I I totally get that and I, I always whenever I hear uh, Sondheim or Prince talk about the failure of Merrily mm-hmm. I and there's such there's both artists that I Admire, you know, above all, but they there's such like a sort of self pitying about how people were bitchy and out to see them fail or something, and and I always wonder if that's just how they were sensitive to that moment, or if it really was in a way that I can't imagine so so mean spirited to be you know different than the usual mean spirited that we all think of. Yeah, I mean, they had had a huge run of successes um, I think it again I wasn't in New York at that point but I it seemed like it it seemed like it failed in such a spectacular way mm. sort of kind of public way that the um, 
booing or not liking the costume design or like people were um, people thought it was a real misfire not like a good try wasn't my favorite yeah. people seemed to be more more had more invective toward mm. it and, and uh, like they shouldn't have done it or sometimes I see things and I think like wow I hated that and I don't know what you know what the fuck were they doing and sometimes I, I see things like wow I see what they were trying to do and yeah you know maybe they needed another year or maybe if they'd done this or but but people seem to really get off on dismissing it and um, you know I think about I think about with my own work you know the um, I mean we're all fragile and we can all say that we're hard boiled but you put something out there that mm -hmm. obviously you feel good about at the time and you've worked on and um, you know you hope that an audience will respond. Um, it, it's like going on a date, really. It really is the... And if the other person... You know, it's one thing not to call again for a second date. It's another thing to kind of get up from the table and go, wow, you're really awful. Or like, <laughs> this food really sucked and you have no personality and you have bad breath. And like, yeah. I think it felt like that. And, uh, you know, I mean, on the other hand... I mean, there there have been things that I've done that have not been well received that I feel feel good about. Like, it's like you know, I I still like it. You know, yeah. it's what I wanted to do. You may not care for it, and and obviously it's a business, and that's part of the equation. But like, I wouldn't rewrite that because I I thought it was it is what it was. Yeah. You know, so but but we he did want. I mean, I guess we all did the approval and the plaudits and. An audience, yeah, and uh, and when the audience says you suck or gives a thumbs down, it's yeah. painful. It may, I, now that we're talking about it, I'm also wondering if there was a generational shift there—that the sort of respectable medium shows of the '60s that ran for nine months or fourteen months or whatever—that the change yeah. after in the age that we are in shows close shuttering like that all the time. Right. That maybe that was not in the sort of like worldview that they had expected to be, you know, playing in at that point. I mean, I, I often think about that now. Like, people seem to... Like, for me, like, every single thing that I see, I don't want to have to open a vein and, like, weep and cry or laugh or piss <laughs> myself. Like, yeah. sometimes I'm, you know... But that seems to now be the kind of litmus test, like... Were you was it were you you know were you weeping or were you orgasming or were you crying or were you like couldn't you just have a good time or like be entertained or yeah. be provoked or like but uh, yeah you know he also the the tastes change and the generations change and mm. um, and that was kind of a transitional time yeah yeah huh. Well, not transitional in the in the current sense no, of the word. Not the man of the Tinkin. Exactly. He was, a he was a beautiful, beautiful woman in the dress. <laughs> That's what I said. I, well, I don't care what the tape recorder says. <laughs> well, I can't think there's anyone uh, better to talk to about that. I was that. very happy to go down memory lane. It was... Um, it was all, people, also have, people also don't understand, like how the what life was like before the internet or like social media or the ubiquity 
I mean, he was... Like to be in, like to get a job working on a Sondheim show, or to be in the room with him, or like it was just incredible. That kind of access, like there were, you know, there weren't the books, and there weren't the videos, and there weren't the like he. It was there was so much more mystery, and it was like this incredibly erudite, accomplished, brilliant man creating new stuff, and you just didn't. You, you, there weren't as many ways to see inside what that was like with anyone let alone him correct I mean yeah. I remember that too with the someone was asking me about a stress and anecdote the other day and like when he when he called me he called me uh, and she was going to do some songs on back to Broadway and he called me and he said uh, hi Scott it's Steve how would you like to meet me at Barbara Streisand's apartment tomorrow at 4 o'clock and I was like I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And that, you know, again, someone who was prodigiously talented and who had created a lot of work, but who was kind of secretive and reclusive and not present in other ways, didn't perform and wasn't accessible and didn't like to give interviews. And, was, yeah. was, and so then you, you, when you meet someone like that in person... Or like have them singing in your ear on the piano bench. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's, it's different now. Now, now I feel like with three clicks, you can you can get a soundbite from everybody, right? And yeah. get what they think, you know. Well, then it also started with uh, you know Oprah and Rosie and like, mm. what kind of underwear do you wear? Yeah. Uh, what do you have for breakfast? Like we used to like we used to there used to be mystery, and now everybody has to you know tell you everything. But in the mystery era, you were in Barbara's what Central Park. West yes. penthouse. Yes, just you and Steve. Yeah, uh, working on her. Insane. Exactly. Um, and that was that. That was the version of in "Children Will Listen" with the second midnight. Uh, right. We were doing the one I worked on was uh, "Move On." We do not belong together. Oh yeah. I mashed them up together. Gorgeous. Um, I do remember too. I had to make. I had to make her a demo after our first meeting, and I went. I went in and I was like, I had to sing, and I'm not much of a singer, but I was also I was also so hyper where it's like she's going to be listening to this. Like, how much am I going to give? Like a taste of Barbara, a taste of Barbara phrasing, and maybe try not to breathe between the phrases, or like, or is that kind of disrespectful? Or if I don't do that, will she not get that? That's yeah, crazy pants. I mean, uh, well, so how, what? Was, how were they in the room together? He was um, reading the paper a lot. Ah. Kind of, kind of, he, he, she's a lot of work, and he's, they were not birds of a feather. Ah. Uh, I mean, obviously he was thrilled that she recorded them, but I think they weren't, you know, all that, like, will you write new lyrics for me, and what if I did this, and what if I did that, and... He he was coming from a place like, well, why don't you do like, how about why don't we do what, what I wrote? Yeah, like that's where that was his starting point. So I think he was kind of a little exasperated by her. Wow, with, with great respect, of course. Yeah, in, in the same time, but so because she's the one that has talked publicly about it, and only in the like, well, you know, the most passionate artist is the one who would always win in our disagreement. Right. You know? I think that he, yeah. 
you know, well, but it, but it makes sense in a way because she's an interpreter and he's a writer. Yeah. So there are some people for, you know, I mean, he famously, you have to cut this out, he famously, you know, gave Betty a hard time about those recordings. Yeah. Uh, because they were too free or too too much of a deviation. Yeah. And they are pretty, but they are, they deviate quite yes. a bit. Yes, yes. Uh, so, you know, hard to imagine he's not around, though. You thought, I don't know, Sheldon's still here and John Kander's still here. And yeah. Charles Strauss is still here. All older. Um, yeah, it's hard to imagine him not being here. Yeah. But, I don't know. I feel like we've conjured him a little bit. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you for it. My, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods on the Broadway Podcast Network. Look out for episode 23 with Betsy Joslin, replacement witch on Broadway and on tour. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.